The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Happy Saturday. Hope you're having a wonderful time, having a wonderful weekend. We're two weeks away from Christmas. Can you believe the year is nearly over? Can you believe it's Christmas time? Wow. We have a. Uh, we have, I don't know, it's been a very uneventful week. There's, I don't know what I'm going to talk to you about today. It's, there's nothing happened since we last spoke. It's, it's been a very um, dull, boring world, hasn't it? Of course, I'm joking. Um, it's been a, it's been an incredible changing week. Um, if you've been following cryptocurrencies, you follow Bitcoin. Wow. If you're in Bitcoin, all I can say is I'm very jealous. Um, enjoy it. Some of the people making money is incredible. Um, we also saw a very interesting decision this week with President Donald Trump, which we're going to discuss in a few minutes. I also have last week's story, which I really wanted to talk to you about. I ran out of time. I want to talk to you about a ruling and a decision that's happening in Poland, which affects Christians and Christians are very happy about, but I want to delve deep into it. And I also want to have a conversation with you about what's important in life and is life itself important? But before we get started, um, as you all know, if you're a long-term listener, one of the things I do is I engage with you as much as possible and publicly and privately, and people ask me questions. And I got a question which I just want to answer straight off the bat because I just want to get this out of here in case someone else is thinking this. So I got this, I got this private Facebook message um, last week. John, I, I love your show. I never miss this. I, I think you're awesome. I Thank you for that, by the way. Um but I was shocked that I haven't heard in recent shows your your commentary on the the royal wedding. Um, can you please give me your thoughts on this? Um. Um. Okay. <laughs> I I don't mean to be disrespectful. Uh, I don't care. Um. It's. It's fascinating to watch. I, I really struggle with stories like this. One, it involves a celebrity, and, and the royals are considered celebrity, so I tend not to have any interests right off the bat. The second thing I always find, I do find troubling about it, and I hate to be the, you know, the, the bearer of bad news or the, the dampener of spirits, because people are going, oh, it's so amazing, and oh, she's so beautiful, and he's such a hunk, and, and they look so cute, and I've, I've seen articles about body language, and, and it's young love, and, and you should be happy about this, and am I happy that they found each other? Sure, I'm happy, but I don't place them on any other pedestal above anyone else. But what I do find frustrating about the story is the amount of people who, in England and around the world, who are okay with a monarch, who just because you're born in, in a certain family, you automatically have a certain stature that other people don't have, and that they're your subjects. 
Um, I'm not very pro-queen. Um, if, you, if you've listened to anything I say, you'll know I tend to believe all people are created equal and monarchs and kings and queens and class systems are a big bunch of baloney. So I get very, I, I find it fascinating. The one other part I find very fascinating is watching the Americans be fascinated by the royal family. Because there is a part of me, and I mean this in a sarcastic tone, by the way, this is not serious, but there is a part of me that when I see some Americans go, oh my God, it's a royal wedding. Oh, oh yay. There's a part of me that going, you do realize you fought a revolution against a king, right? Um, I'm being sarcastic, of course you know that, but it's... I don't find it as a story, so that's why I didn't discuss it, and I'm only addressing it now in case some of y'all were wondering why didn't he discuss it. But on to more important issues. So, to those who listen to this show, who were upset about me, or upset at me, last year when I didn't support Donald Trump. I didn't support anyone, but some people were like, you gotta support Donald. He's great, he's wonderful, he's gonna do great things. And then they still message me every couple of months going, well, has he done anything good in your eyes yet? And I'm like, I'm not here to give out plaudits. I'm here to commentate on not on the issues of the day, but on principles. But since you're so needy of me, my approval, I don't know why you care what I think, but that's a different story. This week he made a great decision, and it's a decision that should be supported, and it's a decision that affects the world. And it's going to have major consequences. And I, I salute him. It's, it's a decision that... It's a decision that should be easy to make in certain aspects. In, just in a, in, a, in a small picture type of thing. If you believe in any type of Christianity, this should be an easy decision to make. However, in the world we live in, everything is complicated, everything is politics, and there are people out there who, if you disagree with them, will kill you, so it makes it a hard decision. Of course, the decision I'm talking about is his decision to recognize Israel as, or sorry, Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It's kind of fitting that last week's show I spent a lot of time talking to you about foreign policy, that I spent a bit of time delving into the history of the nation of Israel. And for those of you that shared it and listened to it, if you you have people out there going, this is the problem, the Jews and, and Israel and... Just share that. There's a short clip. It's, the, it's about 20 minutes long. It's the 4,000-year history of Israel. Just factual, no, very little opinion, just pure facts. That's from last week's show, if you missed it. But we are living in times where it's popular to hate the Jews. And the rise of anti-Semitism is happening. It's also a rise of anti-Christian behavior. If you dare disagree with, with uh, Islam or atheists... It's not a nice place to be in certain parts of this world. But the response to it is is incredible. You have world leaders condemning Donald Trump. Uh Uh-huh, well, wow. There's a shocker. You have the media condemning Donald Trump. Wow, really? The media are condemning Donald Trump? Wow, I never saw that one coming, huh? You also have the Pope. He's, He's deeply concerned. It's There is a part of me that, as a Christian, wants to go, and I'm not a Catholic, and I'm a Christian. Um, I live in a Catholic country, but it, it's, it's amazing to me. It's like the Pope has never read the Bible at times. And I'm not just saying about on this issue, I'm just saying in general. I know 
it's incredible that I should, uh, I, a merit person like me should say that. But this is how I feel about this Pope. I actually think he's never read the Bible. Or if he has read it, he clearly didn't understand what's in it. Again, not just about Israel and not just about Jerusalem, but about things in general. But the response to it from terrorists, and I will call them terrorist groups, because I'm reading media reports both in America and in Europe and in England and in the AP, where they're describing Hamas. You know that we went into the history of them last year, the, the terrorist group, and I talked to you about the Hamas charter and some of the things that are in it. They're just calling Hamas a Palestinian group. Wrong. They are a terrorist group. We're whitewashing history through media, through politicians. Well, Hamas is just a group, you know. They're just, they're just like you and me. Like, you know, they're just like folks at the Blaze. The Blaze is a group, you know. Hamas is a group. You know, the Republican Party is just a group of people. Hamas is just like them. They're just like you and me. No, they're a terrorist group. Read their charter. But the response to it, this is incredible. What you're seeing in the world is people who are just looking, and I would say this about um, the Middle East, and I would also say this about, there's a chunk of Americans who are like this as well, who are just so, excuse my French, pissed off, and they are looking for any excuse to get their knickers in a twist and to destroy property. And to just go, well, I this happened. He did this, or she did that, or they said that. Now I can go destroy property. I can go act like a hooligan. I can go do things. So let's break it down to its simplest core. What happened this week? America and the American president, Donald Trump, said, we are going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And effectively, all we are doing is moving a, bo- a building with its staff from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. That is all they are doing. Now, is that significant? Yes. Is that important? Yes. Is that a signal to the rest of the world? Yes. But all they are effectively doing is moving a body, a building with loads of people in it from one place in Israel to another place. What was the Muslims world and Hamas response? Well, we're going to have a day of rage you're raged, enraged over a building moving from one city to another. Huh. Demonstrations happened in Bangladesh, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Kashmir. And hundreds of thousand Palestinians clashed this week with Israeli forces. They clashed in cities like Hebron, Bethlehem, and Ramallah. And because, you know, nothing says I'm angry. Nothing says, you know, you did something that's wrong. Let's just just take this for a minute. Let's just take this from a logical point of view. Let's say Donald Trump was 100% wrong. He's not. But let's just say he is. And this decision really is a bad thing. If you're protesting it, I, I, I never get this destruction of private property. But this, this hooliganism that we see around the world. So I'm really angry. You, you've, you've, you've given me this injustice. And I'm going to respond. I'm going to start throwing stones at police and security officers. You saw this. You see this in the. You saw this in January in your country, um, where people were outraged at Donald Trump. They were just going around destroying private property. I f- there was a bit of irony in it when they were like destroying Starbucks. Um, it's like I think you're destroying the wrong companies. But. You just this, this destruction of private property is uh, is morally acceptable when something bad happens. 
How did the Israelis respond? Well, they responded with tear gas and rubber bullets. And there was a big protest outside the Alaska Mosque. We discussed that last week in the history of Israel. It's a flashpoint. Um, obviously, because of the situation, Israel has had to respond, and it's responded by deploying extra police and soldiers and basically trying to calm down. How do we dissolve this? Because a lot of people in the commentary, you're, if you're reading it right now, and you're, if, you're, if you actually care what the media says, people like CNN and the AP and all these other um, papers, basically they're saying Donald Trump has, has, has issued a war on the Middle East, has issued a war on, on, uh, on Muslims. This narrative, look, I'm no Donald Trump supporter. <laughs> we, we have this clear. But these, this media f- talking points are ridiculous. He has moved the building to the holy capital of Jerusalem. That's all he's done. That is not a war on Muslims. This narrative that needs is recycled constantly is starting to annoy me. This garbage, well, he's just inciting things. No, actually, what he has done, in literal terms, let me get legislation what he has done. This started in 1995 under Bill Clinton. Oh, was Bill Clinton a Republican or a Democrat? Hmm, Bill Clinton. He, 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 he was a right winger, right? Hmm. Well, in 1995, they, they, they signed this, they made this law, and basically it was they recognized Jerusalem as the capital, but every six months there's a waiver. And every president since 1995, which is Bill Clinton, that fast right winger, you know, that conservative warmonger, you know, that, that Bill Clinton, the neocon, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, you know, another right winger, basically signed this waiver every six months that said we're going to put off moving the, the, the embassy and recognizing Jerusalem as the capital. Everyone has done it. In effect, legislation-wise, all Donald Trump, in simple terms, has said, I'm just not signing this waiver. He signed it um, uh, six months ago. He signed it when he came into office. And he signed it in the summer. He's just basically said, I'm not going to sign. There's a point in time in the future comes, I'm no longer signing this. I am not extending that for another six months. That is, in effect, all he has done, legislation-wise. That is not a war on Muslims. That is not a war in the Middle East. Because we live in a world, simply terms, where there is a section of society and a section of Muslims, we can argue about what size of Muslims it is, who will never, ever live in peace with Israel. Never, ever, ever. They don't want peace with Israel. They don't know negotiations with Israel. And they certainly do not recognize Israel. Now, how can you have peace when one party will not even negotiate or recognize your claim to a piece of land? There will never be peace as long as you have people like Hamas and the PLO and Hezbollah making and inciting that violence. You will never have peace. How can you have peace when one set of parties says, I don't recognize you and I want to kill you? Last week I went into the Hadith. How can you have peace when one set of people says, and it's in its holy scriptures, the Hadith, 
which is the follow-on to the Quran, the Hadiths, and I quote, O Muslim, O Muslim, come quick, there is a Jew hiding behind me. That is what a tree apparently will say. How can you have peace when you have one set of people who follow the Hadith? How can you have peace when one set of people says, you know what? I want to kill you. But also what I find incredible is, you know, well, you know, you know, the, the Palestinians, they did nothing wrong and, 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 and they just want peace. Huh? Really? Now, are there Palestinian people just average day, like, like the way I'm just an average Irish person who want peace? I'm sure there are. But the government they elected don't. Again, I don't want to go over last week's show, but Israel in the history, in the last 50 years, 50 years, yes, has negotiated a land for peace swap with both Egypt and Jordan. This popular line that Israel, Israel is just an occupying force, you know, Israel just, they, it's, they're just bad people. Huh, well how come they're no longer at war with Jordan? Hmm. Hmm. How come they're no longer at war with Egypt? Hmm. How come Israel doesn't claim part of its land as the Sinai Peninsula? This narrative breaks down when you actually understand the facts and the real history. Now, going forward, Donald Trump thinks he can negotiate a peace deal. I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea if that will happen or not. But I will say this. To those who think it's up to Donald Trump, you're looking at the wrong actor. And that's not a slam on Donald Trump. It's not a slam on anyone. It's a truth. Until you have change in the Middle East where people accept Israel as a nation and says, we can negotiate a deal, you have your bit and we have our bit, but you have a fundamental right to exist, until you get that in the Middle East, you will never have a peace. And to those Christians out there who love slamming Israel, because there was those Christians who were burning effigies, in the Middle East, who are Palestinian Christians. You might have read some of the stories. They were burning effigies of the American flag. They were burning effigies of Donald Trump. Because that's just cool. You know, because nothing says, you know what, I'm cool and I'm going to make my point. I'm going to go to a public square and I'm going to burn the American flag. I'm going to burn a picture of Donald Trump because that's just what's cool. And you claim to be a Christian? In what world, in what part of the Bible... Does that say, you know what, when you're angry, you go protest, you go burn something. Or the equivalent, because I know the Bible is over 2,000 years old, or something equivalent, where that says that's okay is protesting. You want to fix things? And I've been deadly serious about this. Someone asked me the other day, said, How do you, what is the number one thing you can do to fix the world? And it's a selfish answer. The number one thing you can do is educate yourself. Because the narratives out there are all wrong, in my opinion. The narratives out there that you're being fed by media on both sides of the aisle, both end in the wrong place. If you want to understand and you want to be part of the solution, educate yourself, in this case on Israel, on the history of Israel, on the history of the Middle East, and of the problems 
Because, by the way, a small story happened this week. Very small, one-line story. Boris Johnson, who is the equivalent of... And it's always hard to make the equivalent. He's the equivalent of Rex Tillerson in some ways in America, of, of states. He basically said, you know what, well, what we need is, uh, in the Middle East, you know, we can't let Iraq and Afghanistan, in their influence, put us off the Middle East. It still needs a British influence in the Middle East. When you understand the history, I'm, I kind of think the Middle East would be a lot better without a British influence. I also think it would be much better without a French influence. But if we want to change things, we got to win hearts and minds, but we got to do it through truth and through facts. Educate yourself. And when you've educated yourself, share your education with others. And just so I'm crystal clear, because I said this to a few people, and they always seem to take me up wrong. Because when I say educate yourself and educate others, this is what some people hear. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll get people to vote the way I vote. No. I said educate yourself. I don't talk about voting at all. I don't care about parties. Educate yourself on the history of the world and of tyranny and on freedom on both good and bad, and start charting a course for the future. Because we have all the potential in this world to have a brighter future. You're looking at change that we discussed last week, like cryptocurrencies. You're seeing a system, whether it is successful or not, the system where money is now decentralized, where it's not cash, it's not gold, it's not through a bank, it's through numbers and digits. Whether you like that or not, or whether you're a supporter or not, that is major revolutionary change. It will decentralize currency, potentially. That is huge. It has some huge rewards and it has some huge risks. But the world is changing. How about we change it for the better? Where we finally, once and for all, America, Europe, the world, finally understands what real freedom is and what real peace can be. But make no mistake, peace can never happen in the Middle East as long as one party says the other has no right to exist and has no right to negotiate and has no recognition. Until you change that fundamental fact, I don't care if Jesus Christ is president, until you change that fact, there can never be peace. And how we go about changing that is the million dollar question. Don't go anywhere, America. We gotta take a quick break. I'll be right back. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America As always, I'm on Twitter at Freedom Disciple On Facebook at Jonathan Dunn 58 If you look me up, you'll search me I'm not hard to find I want to talk to you about a story I was planning on talking to you about last week But just time got away from me. And it's a story which 
I want to spend time not focusing per se on the story, but on the arguments that are given in response in for this policy and against this policy, and underline how if you believe in freedom or you believe in some version or watered-down version of freedom or tyranny, we're talking, we have to understand something. We're at different points and we're having different arguments. And to, until we understand this, we can't actually have a conversation um, that will go anywhere. And I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. So the story I wanted to talk to you about is comes from Poland. And the reason I'm sharing this story is, is one is a, a situation where eventually this could come to America. And this policy would be well supported by a quote-unquote a lot of people on the right. I think it would be anyway. Um, and a growing number of people would get behind this if it was marketed the right way. And we need to have a discussion about this. So hat tip ABC News via the AP. Poland's lawmakers on Friday, which is a couple of weeks ago, approved a law that will phase out Sunday shopping by the year 2020. What is the reason for this? So it was proposed by trade unions. They basically want the argument for closing the shops on Sunday is the following. They want workers to spend more time with the family. It also Bill also got support from the ruling party in Poland who in many ways adhere to Catholic values. And they're basically saying that they support it because it's the Sunday to them is the Sabbath. And if you read the Bible, um, the Lord rested on the Sabbath, and on the seventh day he rested and did nothing, and you should not work on the Sabbath. And they're supporting it through religious re- reasons, and that is why they're doing it. So there are the arguments. Spend more t- workers spend more time with family. Catholics support them because they think it's biblical. The critics of it are basically saying it's going to affect Poland's economy, it's going to eliminate tens of thousands of jobs, and it's going to hurt supermarket chains. There you have it. You're for it or you're against it. What's your gut reaction? I know a lot of people will have different feelings on this. But what I find frustrating and one of the reasons I want to try and change what I do in this show is I don't want to get in in the arguments of the day because they're the two arguments. I'm looking at that kind of going, first of all, the people involved. You're going to stand with the trade unions? Ooh, hard, isn't it? Are you going to stand with the the Catholics? Depends. Are you going to be the, the, the greedy person who only cares about money and jobs? Maybe. By the way, this has happened before in Europe. In Hungary, it happened about two years ago, in 2015. The government banned Sunday shopping. But they lifted the prohibition after about 13 months. Why? Because it was unpopular with voters. Where's the principle there? Where's the underlying principle? The underlying principle is the same for me. That is never discussed on either side or on any side. The underlying principle is, does government have a position in this society, and in any society, whether it's a democracy, democratically elected government and a democracy like Poland, or a government like America, which is a republic and a constitutional republic? The question is always the same for me. Anytime I hear any bill proposed, the first question is always this. Does government have a right to do it? Does government have a right to say, you can't open on a Sunday? 
my first argument is that. Does government have that right? If you truly believe all men are created equal, how does someone have a right to tell you how to run your business? But it also goes deeper than that, because a lot of people don't care about business. They're, they're the millionaires and billionaires. We hate them. Okay, well, then let's just make it about an individual. Does one individual have another, the right to tell another individual, you cannot work on a Sunday? You cannot work. Oh, well, I don't like workers. I don't care about them. Okay. Does one individual have a right to tell another individual, you cannot purchase and go shopping on a Sunday? Even though for some workers, that's the only time they have free. If you work Monday to Friday, nine to five, and then you're, you know, you got kids and you're a young family. You know, you might be out playing soccer or playing football or playing hockey on a Saturday and you got stuff to do. Sunday's your only free day. You want to go and, you know, go to the church maybe and then, you know, go to a supermarket and do a bit of shopping or, you know, buy the kids new clothes or buy them Christmas presents in this season. Can't do it on a Sunday. Sunday's wrong. Does one person have a right to influence someone else just because they have power? My answer to all of those questions is no. I believe in free choice and freedom. If you want to open your business on a Sunday, go for it. If I want to buy something on a Sunday, go for it. But likewise, if you're a company, oh, I don't know. Who does this? Oh, Chick-fil-A. And you want to close your business on a Sunday? Which, by the way... In Chick-fil-A's case, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen an, an economic study, but I would love to see how much money they lose by closing on a Sunday. I bet you they lose a fortune because I'm not American and I don't spend much time there. But I, I can't think if I was going to church with family, I can't think of a better thing to do after church. Hey, y'all want to go to Chick-fil-A? Oh, hell yeah. Now, I will say anytime's a good day to go to Chick-fil-A, but after Sunday, sure, that'd be awesome. Can't, it's closed. <sighs> I don't know how much money that's close, but that, how much it costs them. But that's their choice. But I want to take this even deeper in an understanding and a conversation that affects this conversation, but in general. When you talk to people of different ideologies, you understand our priorities are very different. And this is where, what I want to talk to you about. We are ultimately at different points of the conversation And our focus is on different things. Let me explain what I mean by that. Because I'm not wording it the best way. To me, my priorities are always at the start, the foundation. All I care about, in principle terms, is if the principles are adhered to. Do I have a right to compel anybody else to act the way I act? No. Do I have a right to, to tell people how they, how they can run or do their shopping or how they live? No. I have certain core principles that basically is just leave everyone the hell alone. That, that's, if you, to sum up how I feel about a lot of things, that's my underlying principle. Just leave people alone. Just stop telling them how to live, especially through government coercion. That's my basis. That's my foundation. And if you believe in true freedom, that's where you are as well. For those who believe in 
and I'm not going to say they're socialists, I'm just saying who accept or believe there should be some government intervention or a lot of it. Where they focus their priorities is not on the foundation, not at the start, but at the end, on the outcome. They focus in on, well, look, you know, should I support this? Let's just use this bill in Poland. Should I support it? Well, you know, how do I feel? Am I Catholic? Am I Christian? Do you know, do I think Sunday is the Sabbath? Do I think we should be allowed to work on a Sunday? Huh. Well, actually, I, I think, you know what, I'm, I'm okay with the outcome. I think people should, you know, I think the workers should spend more time at their family, so I'll support it. Oh, or I think, yeah, the Sunday is the Sabbath. No one should work on the Sabbath because it's biblical. Or I'm against it because it's going to hurt people. You know, how many people are going to lose their jobs? You know, it's going to hurt our economy. And it's all about jobs and money. I, I got to oppose this bill. They're all on the outcome, not at the foundation. That is the fundamental difference between those who believe in freedom and those who do not. We're having different conversations. And until someone acknowledges this and starts changing the conversation to reach out and have conversations, and about bad things, and about bad outcomes, and overcoming those obstacles. Because there's this cold-heartedness perception about people who believe in freedom. Because people say this to me all the time from over here when they hear some of my policies, and they understand that all I care about is the foundation. They kind of go, well, you know, what about you know, they'll come up with these sob stories, the, you know, the, the, the tug on the heartstring stories. Well, what about this scenario where, you know, you know, if only there was a government policy, this would have been avoided. You know, you're, you're for heartless capitalism. No, I'm not. I care deeply about it. The difference between me and you is you care about it, but you do it through government intervention. I care about it. I deal with it myself. If someone's been taken advantage of, just since we're talking about capitalism, if there's a bad employer and someone's been taken advantage of, I'm the, usually the first person there going, hey, how can we help? Not government, how can we help? How can, I, how, how can my, me and my friends help? How can me and my family help? How can I help? What can I do? I just don't have a system in me that says, you know what, there's an injustice in this world, we need government. That's the difference. What we are having right now is a breakdown in communication. And I hate to tell this to you, I hate doing a generalization, but those who believe in some type of government intervention are not usually the people who will reach across the aisle, even though they love talking about it, reaching across the aisle to people like me and you who believe in freedom and saying, hey, how can we, how can we address the differences we have? Generally, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the media. It doesn't really happen on social media. It doesn't happen in politics. But it has to happen. So we're going to have to be the people who stick to our principles but reach across the aisle and make our arguments different so that they can understand. But also understanding that when they hear free markets and they hear about no government, they automatically, and they misassume a lot of stuff she spoke about, but they go to Aaron Rand. I don't care about the people, you know. You can live on the street. I don't care. We have to be the compassionate people who says, no, these are the principles we believe in. We don't believe in telling people what they do. But when bad things happen, because sometimes freedom sucks, sometimes the outcomes of freedom are not exactly ideal. But when those things happen, we're the first people there to help, to help pick people up. Because here's the thing we need to fundamentally understand. 
If we truly want government to do less, we must do more. Because if we're the people who only say government should do less, you know, the people like me who go, you know what, we should just abolish the Department of Energy, the Department of Education, the IRS, the Alphabet Soup, the Department of Energy. All people here when they hear that is, okay, you want to get rid of that. Who's going to fill that vacuum? Who's going to fill the need? When people are seeing disaster relief and kind of go, you know, I remember some friends in Texas, when the, the hurricane hit, they were like, we don't want FEMA. Okay, who fills that gap? We do. We do. If you truly want government to do less, you also have a responsibility to say, I want government to do less because I must do more. That is the responsibility of the right to say government should do less. That is what we must do. Because there are real issues in our society. There is heartless capitalism. I see it all the time. There is businessmen who take advantage of their employees. Who do not care about the employees. Who do not care about regulations or doing the right thing. They only care about being legal and compliant. There is major differences in poverty out there right now. There are a lot of people living in poverty. The solution is not a government program. The solution is people stepping up and empowering that individual to take control of their own lives. Because ultimately, everything comes down to one question. And I'm going to leave you with this question. Who knows what's best for your life? You or some bureaucrat in D.C.? Or some bureaucrat in any government agency. I am a firm believer in you know what's best for your life. Regardless of your situation. You know what's best for you. You know what you need. And what I try and do is instead of giving you a government program and, and making you dependent. I want to help empower you to get where you need to go. Because that is the real compassionate answer. But we have to understand we are having two different conversations. And next year, people have asked me, what's the plan for the show next year? One of the things I want to do is I want to try and change the arguments that you've heard. That when you hear the arguments I'm going to make to you next year, with you next year, they're going to go, ooh, I don't know about that. That will make really push you. Because we need to change the conversations. Or I, sorry, I shouldn't say we need to change the conversations. That's very arrogant of me and I apologize. I believe we need to change the arguments. And that is what I want to try and do. Because the way I see the world right now is everyone is arguing on both sides of the aisle about things that I think are not important. Where I'm listening to the arguments going, well, the trade unions want families to, to spend more time with their families. Christians want to tell people how to take the Sabbath. And on the other side, people are just cared about losing money and losing jobs and hurting the economy. And I'm going... Where's the underlying principle? Why is that not discussed? Why is that not important? And that's where I want to take this show with you. When I come back, I want to have a conversation with you about life. And our life. And is it truly precious today? Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Disciple on demand on the Blaze Radio Network.
Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. You know, one of the things I love to do in my downtime, and I have a, I have a crazy brain, i got to be honest with you, and one of the things I like to do is I like thinking about scenarios and I like thinking about stories and, and kind of, especially in history stories, reading history and kind of going, I wonder what the average person, you know, the average person who wasn't involved in the conflict felt. You know, what was their emotions? When they heard the news, what, 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 what was their response? Did they care? Were they outraged? How did they respond? And, you know, as we're approaching the Christmas season, I want to talk to you about life. You know, one of the stories, if you're a Christian, you know this story very well. If you're not, I'll, I'll give you the bullet points. And it's the story of King Herod. And basically, if, if I'm sure you've heard of Jesus Christ if you're not a Christian. And... Um, he's born, and uh, the three wise men are, are going to go pay him homage and, and to give them him gifts because he's their king. And Herod finds out about this and basically is threatened. He, he hears he's a king, and you know he he only thinks in earthly terms. He doesn't think in a in a grander scale. And he thinks, well, I'm ki- I'm the king, and there's this baby that's been born that everyone else is calling king, and he finds it disrespectful. And there's a lot of there's a big story in between, but. Long story short, um, he asked the wise men to, you know, go find this baby and this new king and, you know, find out where he is and then tell me so I can go pay him homage, even though he doesn't want to go pay him homage. And the three wise men, you know, understand that he's not a good guy and basically they don't tell him where he is. And Herod is infuriated about this and what he does is every baby under the age of two, he kills Every baby, he kills every baby under the age of two. I am going somewhere with this story. But when I read this story, I know, obviously, 2,000 years ago, times are different. It wasn't exactly, you know, you didn't have like a tablet, or maybe they actually did have tablets. They chiseled into them, though. But, you know, they didn't have tablets where they could go on the internet and find out about this story, or they didn't have like the local newspaper, you know, the, the Daily Mail, or cnn.com or you know i'm trying to think of uh, usa today they didn't have all these papers to find out the news but i often wondered how they reacted and i wondered i often wonder about the emotional scars that must have been left on the people the mothers and the fathers of you know if you had a baby under the age of two and had the king by the king's decree your baby had to be killed and the scars that must have, and the impact it must have had on your family. When I read that story, there is no scenario in my brain. It just my brain just there's certain things my brain cannot do. Everyone's brain is the same. There are certain things your brain just cannot commute. But there is one time. Every time I've read that story, there is no time in my life I've went. People were just eh. people didn't care. There was no point in time where my brain went. There was an outrage. Now, I don't know what they did, but, you know, they weren't upset and angry about it. There isn't a point in time where I've read that story and went, you know what? People went, that's totally fine. That's totally natural. That's just, that's just the way it is. But I fast forward to the world we live in today. And I wonder if the same situation happened. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about the country. Don't focus in on the country or the personalities. But let's say there's a country in the world living today in 2017. And basically said, 
Every baby under the age of two must be killed. Would we be outraged? How would we respond? How would we respond? Would we? Would we be going, well, that's the right of the state, you know, state sovereignty and, and countries have a right to do what they want within their borders. Would the UN get involved? Or would the response be like so many times in the past? Well, what we need is a fancy hashtag. You know, that's t- let's show that king, let's show that person, that dictator, you can't murder two-year-old babies. We're coming with our hashtags. Hashtag bring our kids back. Yes, that is a historical reference. And yes, it's meant as a slam to a certain person. I wonder our response to it. Yet we are seeing a version of this happen every day. And people call it a choice. I want to read a story that really broke my heart this week. And... So imagine it's your family and you're a mother of three. Mother, father and three young kids. And the mother falls pregnant. The joy that she must have felt. It's amazing, first off, on a side point, it's always amazing to me how where... All that matters with the pro-choice or the pro-life people is whether we want it or not. Especially the pro-choice people. If a mother wants her baby, it's a wonderful thing. You saw this with Beyonce. You know, you saw the, I didn't read them because I don't care, but you saw some of the the love and and the support and, and the gushing over Beyonce when she was pregnant. If the mother wants it, it's awesome. It's a wonderful thing. It's a gift. It's amazing. We should celebrate it. Mother doesn't want it. Eh. It's a bunch of cells. It's a choice. But this mother, three kids, is pregnant again. And something happens, but they, because they were delivered early. They were delivered at 34 weeks. By a C-section. And she had twins. She had a boy called Thomas and a boy called Jacob. And because they were delivered early, obviously they went through checks. And they had to decide, you know, they're early, you know, prematures. And you got to do extra checks because, you know, they're not fully developed. And there's, there's, I'm, I'm I'm not a doctor, so I'm butchering what I'm supposed to say here. But, you know, there's complications. And what they understood, they found was baby Thomas was totally healthy. Baby Jacob, on the other hand, wasn't. Baby Jacob had Down syndrome. What broke my heart about this story was when they found out that one of the babies, baby Jacob, had Down syndrome, this mother who had three other kids, was asked by a doctor if she wanted to hand baby Jacob over to social services. Why? 
Why would you want to hand your baby over? Why would a doctor even ask that? I quote from the story, she said, When they asked me if I wanted to take him home, it took a minute to register what I was been asked. I was stunned. It had not even crossed my mind for one second that both my twins would not come home with me. When I look at them, all I see is two beautiful little boys who adore each other and their family. Now this mother has decided to speak out in hope of raising awareness for people with Down syndrome. When we look back on history, can we ever point to a time where we said as a society and as a world, life is precious. But not only life that life is precious, that each and every life that is born has a gift inside of us. That each inside of every one of you listening and everyone in this world has a potential inside of them to do something amazing. Has the potential to change the world. Has the potential to change people's hearts and minds. Can we point to a time in history where we got that simple fact right? Oh yes, I know the left-right divide and Democrats suck and Republicans suck and all this and all these other garbage stories that we hear. But can we just get one simple thing right? Life is precious. What are we teaching our kids and our grandkids? What type of society are we going to hand over to them? What type of ethics are we teaching artificial intelligence? What type of ethics will they learn? You know, there's always this fear. I love, I love technology. I think it has the potential to change the world. But there's always this fear, you know, and I talk to people about it. It's always like, well, it's, they never say this, but it, this is what it is. I saw Terminator. You know that documentary once? I saw Terminator, and I saw what them robots did. They turned on us. Uh-huh. When we're teaching artificial intelligence, ethics, do we teach them that all life is precious and that human life is sacred and human life is a gift? Even if it's not from God. If you're not religious or, or you don't believe in it, I'm not saying it's a gift from God. I personally believe it is, but let's just say, let's just focus in on it's a gift. It's a wonderful thing. Do we teach that anywhere? When we see people with Down syndrome, do we see a person who isn't quite right? Who, oh, that, that's so sad they have Down syndrome. They're never going to live their dreams. They're not going to have a quote-unquote normal life. Or do we see a gift? Is it only perfect people who can live? Is it only perfect people who can have a, a chance to change the world? Do you have to be, oh, I don't know, quote unquote, an Aryan race of superior beings to change the world? Because that was World War II and we fought that guy. We defeated that guy. That guy to this day is roundly condemned. Why is life not celebrated? Everyone has the chance to change the world. Do we truly believe that? And are we acting like that today? When I read that story, it absolutely broke my heart that a doctor, 
A doctor who takes a Hippocratic oath that says, first, do no harm. First, do no harm. That it's okay for a doctor to go, well, you know, your your second baby has uh, has Down syndrome. Shh. You, you know, you, you have two babies. You already have three others. Do you, you could leave with just one. Can you imagine how that mother must have felt? Having that joy, having something grow inside of you, have, having that bond with a baby, and then a doctor just to come along and go, you know, who you, who you trust, a doctor who, you know, has stature in society, who, you know, first do no harm, who you trust to turn around and go, well, you know, you had two babies, you, you could just leave with one. In what world is that okay? But there are those people out there who probably would have said yes. How do we change their hearts and minds? I don't know how. I really don't. How can you have conversations with people who do not think life is precious? It's, I I don't know. Life is a wonderful gift, even though when, and by the way, this is coming from someone who generally thinks their life sucks. Life is a precious gift. How are we dealing with it? How are we responding to it? How are we treating people who have a disadvantage? Do we seek to look down on them and go, oh, well, you can't do anything for yourself. You're going to have to depend on someone else. Or do we empower them? To say, look, I know you have a situation. In this case, you have Down syndrome. I know that. There are certain things you may never be able to fully 100% do. You may never be able to throw a baseball at 100 miles an hour. That's just the way it is. You may never be able to, I don't know, do certain things. That quote-unquote may be a normal person, even though I don't know what normal is today, can do. But you have meaning, sir. You have a life. You have you have a gift inside of you. I don't know what it is, but you can change the world. You just got to find out what you're passionate about and what you can do and then strive for that dream. Do we say that as a society? Do we? Do we say that as individuals? Or do we just look at people? And kind of go, well, you have Down syndrome, you can't do it. And, oh, you're fat. Oh, you're ugly. You can't do that. Oh, you're in a wheelchair. You, you can't do that. You're helpless. When will society ever get it that the object of life is to empower people? And that overcoming an obstacle is a great thing that should be celebrated. And that should be encouraged at every opportunity that we get. Because here's the truth, whether you want to believe it or not. Here is the sad truth about life. You get one life. You're guaranteed no time on this earth. You may live to one or to a hundred. You may have a load of obstacles overcoming you. You might have Down, Down syndrome. You might be born paralyzed. You might be born with bad genes, or you might be born with perfect genes. You're guaranteed nothing, but you have one life. 
Do we seek to empower that person and to encourage that person? Or do we seek to tear them down? We only get one opportunity. How about we start living that opportunity to the fullest? And how about we start encouraging other people to do the same and stop looking at a stupid label? Or stop looking at a condition? Because maybe maybe I'm alone on this, but I think every life is a wonderful, precious thing. And that you have a mission in this world to do something. And you have a mission to do something incredible if you want it. And I will say this, I'm talking more to myself right now than I'm talking to any of you. You have a mission in life. You just got to find out what it is. But the world we live in today, we spend so much more time ripping other people apart and, and, and dismotivating them and say, you can't do something. You can't do it. You'll never achieve that. Oh, you want to do that? <laughs> You'll never do it. You'll fall on your face. And then we get great joy when they actually fall on their face in society. Imagine if we spent all that time and energy just trying to encourage others. Building up a society where you can change the world. And where life is precious. My one fear is that we're now currently given AI ethics. I fear for what we're going to teach it. Because they might learn one thing. But when they see how we act in society. Wow. It frightens me in some ways to what they'll learn and what they will deem socially acceptable and what they'll deem as a choice. I want to take this conversation about life in a very different direction when I come back after this break. Don't go anywhere. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something. And progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple On Demand On the Blaze Radio Network Thank you so much for sticking with me, America I want to take the life last segment just to a whole new level If you're watching, if you're watching politics over the last three, four weeks You saw a reversal by President Trump in the trophy hunting ban on animals and then he he actually put it up he changed his mind and and basically upheld the ban under pending review and I don't particularly want to see talk about the the ban or whether Donald Trump was right or wrong I don't want to get into that conversation because you, you saw the arguments and the discussions both from the administration and from from groups like PETA and all different types and you see agendas all around But I do want to talk about life. Because there are those in society, sometimes when you stand on issues and you stand on principles, you're going to have strange bedfellows. And it's, you're standing with them because you kind of agree with them, but you're, you're looking at things in a different way. 
I don't like PETA. I don't like them as a group. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? Here's the thing. Is killing animals for sport morally right or wrong? I believe it's wrong. I don't understand the enjoyment of killing an animal for a trophy. I also despise those who kill animals. Since we're talking about the Donald Trump ban, an elephant for its tusk. Where you have this majestic, I don't know, six, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred, a thousand pound animal. And you're killing it for its tusk. Which may be, what, 10 pounds, 15 pounds? One of the things I love about that we can, we as a society can learn from different cultures. One thing we can learn in full is our view for life and respect for animals from native creatures, native people. Whether that's the Native Americans, whether that's the Aborigines, whether that's the Maori. They really have it right, in my opinion, on how they treat animals. They only kill animals for two reasons. One, it's a threat, or two, for food. And any time they kill an animal, they use all of it. When you read and understand their culture, it's, it's amazing. If you ever want to re- do some reading on it, it's really good. But when you research and how they, how they appreciate animals, and how they, they even, like... Now, I don't go this distance, I will say. But, like, they even, like, they drink the blood of animals they waste nothing because life is precious and if you've taken that life of an animal for food you have a responsibility to waste none of it none of it now i personally won't there are certain parts of animals i won't eat but the great thing about it is is other people do you know, they go to, they re, they use all the animal. They use the brains, they use, they use the liver, they use the spleen. They use some, one thing I actually had once and it was absolutely beautiful. And by the menu sounding of it, you think it would be horrible. I had pig cheek. Very, very beautiful. But when you think about it, going, I'm going to eat a pig's cheek. Ew, that's going to be Horrible. But I was like, hey, what's the worst that can happen? I'm curious. If nothing else, I can say I had a pig's cheek. It was beautiful. It's gorgeous. It was amazing. Now, obviously, the way it was cooked was, was incredible as well. But it was beautiful. It was tender. It was soft. I enjoyed every morsel of it. But life is fundamentally precious. All life. Even animal life. The idea that you think people, some people out there think, and I've had major disagreements with certain people, where it's okay just to kill something for just no reason. Hey, I'm a, I'm a human. You're an animal. I'm higher in the food chain than you. Bang. Where, where, at what point does that stop? At what point do you kind of go, well, I'm more higher in the food chain than you. Uh, I can kill you. Just for no reason. Just senseless killing. We can learn so much in society if we actually just open our minds. 
I, I don't know. I know one of the things, I know I've got this piece of advice. If you're working talk radio or anywhere around radio or, or a public commentator, they always go, don't talk about life been precious. And definitely don't talk about abortion. You just lose your audience. I don't care. I think life is something that we should stand up for. We should stand up for life of all. Because the argument's been made in that trophy hunting ban. I don't agree with either of them. I believe you have a right to hunt. But this trophy hunting or just shooting an animal for its ivory or its tusk or for its head just to have something on your wall. I'm sorry, I find it immoral. One of the things I speak about on this show is rights and responsibilities. If you kill an animal, you have a right to kill it if it's for food or out of a threat. But you also have a responsibility to use that animal. That animal's life had to mean something. And I even go as far as to say, when you cook that food, you are cooking an animal. You better treat it with respect. It, so it died for something. When I look around at the waste of food, I used to work in a restaurant. And people would just, it used to frustrate me. You know, you'd have people ordering like a load of meat. And then you'd have their place, you know, half a steak left. And I'm just going, someone, an animal died to feed you and then it just gets thrown in the bin why am I sharing this story right now one because it's in the news because of Donald Trump but two we're about to enter a season where waste is gonna go through the roof and by the way I'm not making some global warming case here well you know your waste is gonna you know there's gonna be a lot of waste and you know it'll it'll create CO2 and and the environment will get like 0.002 degrees hotter and and the oceans will rise and we're all gonna drown and 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 and, you know I'll, I'll have a video simulation of what New York might look like in 20 years no I'm not talking about that I'm just talking from the moral point of view you know as people buy their turkey and their ham you know, people always, I don't know if you, I, I'm sure you have it over here, but I always find it funny. Do you know around Christmas? I love Christmas. But it's like something happens inside people's minds over here. Because we also have an extra day's holidays as well. So you all have like Christmas Eve, Christmas Day. We have a day over here called Stevens's Day, or if you're in the UK, Boxing Day. It's the day after Christmas Day. And it's a bank holiday. And a lot of things stay closed. It's, I always find it funny The day before Christmas Eve and Christmas Eve, it's like there's a gene inside people, especially women. That's not a sexist comment, but women who do shopping. It's like, oh, my God, the shops are going to be closed for three days. There's an apocalypse. Just buy everything. And it's if you just sit and just watch people like the trolleys are loaded. And this this does not have an age barrier. I've seen people as young as 15, 16 street shop this way. I've also seen people shop in their 80s this way. Don't waste anything. Especially if it's an animal. Because life is precious. I don't know about you, but I'm going to finish up today's show by just saying, I hope you're enjoying the Christmas season. I'm really excited because I uh, we're different cultures over here and we don't put up a Christmas tree. Tradition in Ireland is the 8th of December. As I'm recording this, The Christmas tree is going to be bought this evening. And I cannot wait. 
I really cannot wait to buy a Christmas tree. I can't wait to, to see it decorated. I can't wait to see all the lights. It's just magical. It's Christmas season is upon us. And it's exciting. It's really, it's just a unique time of year. And I hope you're starting to feel the buzz and the enjoyment of Christmas. And this season, and I hope this season, if you're down or you're upset, I hope it brings a season of hope to you. I hope you're, you're doing okay. But I also want to say to you about the new year. I'm so excited for the new year. I really am. I've got a lot of things I want to share with you, but I also want to, I need your help. If there's something you want to discuss on this show, or if you, if you think this show needs to, to do more of a certain topic or more analysis or, or diff, go in a different direction, please reach out to me and let me know. This is your show. I want to take this show to the, make it the best it can be. And if there's things you think I'm not discussing or I'm avoiding, please let me know. Um, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Freedom Disciple, Facebook, Jonathan Dunn. You can find me. Or even if you just go to my website, there's a send me a message um, website there. It's freedomsdisciple.com. Let me know what you want to hear. Please, all I'll ask you is don't say, I want you to talk about politics more. I'm sorry, I suck at it and I don't enjoy it. But I will say this. You know me, I don't insult people very often. This week, I insulted someone on social media. I said Jeff Flake was an idiot and a con man because of donating to Doug Jones. This is the world we live in, that people think this is logical. I don't make those comments lightly, but what I, found, what I saw him doing in the name of country first was appalling. And nothing more than a fraud looking for one last bit of spotlight and one last bit of love and acceptance from the media that is MSNBC, CNN going, oh, well, maybe Jeff Flake's a good guy. No, he's an idiot. And he's desperate for attention. We finish this week's show the way we finish it every week, America. We salute the heroes in society, your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. And never, ever forget one thing. If you heard nothing I said all show, listen to this. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. That is each and every one of you. Never forget that. You are the solution. You are the antidote for what's happening in America today. Each and every one of you has potential. Each and every one of you has greatness inside of you. And each and every one of you has a mission. I don't know what it is, but you have a mission to accomplish. Now, let's, uh, let's work together and empower each other and inspire each other to each accomplish our own mission. And together, we can make America exceptional once again. God bless and God bless America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Oh. Oh, my God.